thank you. Mm. We're going to start crying before the sermon even starts. <laughs> Sorry for that. Uh, we have so many reasons to praise the Lord. Um, thank you again for all your support and encouragement. While I was uh, down and out with a surgery I had about two and a half weeks ago, I'm definitely making progress now. Uh, the first week, I was not sure. <laughs> and those of you been in that spot, may have known, but it was beautiful how you encouraged me and my family. I even remember one card that was flowing with encouragement and I was about to finish. And then the last question, just seemingly out of place, was, how's your patience? And I was like, oh, man, you nailed it. <laughs> it was not being patient and I didn't even recognize it. But man, that, that is something else. Do not recommend it. But praise the Lord for his healing and help. And thank you as well. I have other good news. Here's the beauty of uh, what happens in the mystery of God is often when we are at our worst and weakest, he is doing his greatest work. And when I was laid up on my back on high-powered pain meds and able to do absolutely nothing for the church, God was at work. And I have some very exciting news to share with you. Here's a slide reminding you of the special meeting we're going to have this Wednesday. Just remember the word for. We're having a forum on the 4th. We have some really exciting and good news going into the fall that the Lord brought together perfectly for such a time as this. So I'm super excited to share that with you on the 4th. We want to come out on Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. There's no live stream. Uh, we're good with being in person now. We'd love to have you there. And so if you want to hear about that, come. And then if you are, here's a little hint. If you're a volunteer in children's ministry, I'd like to talk with you afterwards in the children's worship room. And if you need any incentive at all, I don't think you do because you're that cool and you're serving in children's ministry. But if you need an incentive or at least a bribe for your children while you wait, there will be ice cream. So uh, feel free to come back. There are 74 single servings of ice cream waiting for you after church if you're a children's ministry volunteer. And if you're not, you know what that means. You should be. <laughs> it's a great opportunity. But anyways, just a heads up about some good stuff coming up. But let's look into the word this morning and let me pray before we do because that always helps me and may even help you. Oh, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your perfect work. Uh, when you are at work and we are weak, you are strong no matter what. Lord, you are our strength. You are our strength. You are our strength. And we praise you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So we're in the book of Mark right now, and we've been there in the summer, and I actually have loved doing that in the summer. We started a while back, and it's been a fun summer thing to journey with Jesus and as it turns out, you can sort of pair it a little bit with the um, most recent film series or TV series, The Chosen, and kind of get a different perspective, artistic perspective there. But this is the book of Mark and the gospel of Mark, Mark's story of Jesus, which is action-packed and full of excitement. And what's happening today is basically we're still in sort of the confrontation mode um, he did a bunch of miracles in the beginning of the book and got a lot of following and people are super excited. But then after a while, the stuff he's doing isn't so popular anymore. And he's uh, created some enemies along the way. And they're coming after him. And so a lot of these questions that have been answered about the greatest commandment and 
marriage and the resurrection and divorce and all these tricky traps that they've been setting for him are looking for opportunities for him to misstep. And of course, Jesus has not misstepped. He's answered everything well. He's flipped the script and turned the tables and turned it right back around on them so that many a time when they think they're going to trap him, he actually traps them and they go away looking like the fool for it. Today is no exception to that, and it's a bit complicated in some ways because we're not familiar with all the prophecies, all the history, all the cultural climate, but without giving you a long history lesson, I want to give you a few tidbits that will put you as much as possible in their shoes so you can feel the emotional impact of what's happening to Jesus and his followers and the people at this time period. So what you need to know right away is the political climate is intense. I mean intense. And indeed, we in the United States have experienced a little tiny bit of that lately. I mean, probably the most we've seen in a long time. But nowhere near what they experienced there. At that time, these people were subjugated to slavery and taxation in ways that are... um, Foreign to many of us, not all of us, surely we have had our negative experience with slavery in the past and racial injustice continuing today. However, this was just extreme. I mean, it was terrible. And as a result, the people who are under this oppressive system are ready to explode. They're ready to ignite. And what's happening is they're having this conversation in the temple, which is... Essentially, they're, they're both their political capital, their religious headquarters, and their business district all rolled into one. This is the place to have a big conversation. This is where major events, world news, everything goes down in the temple. The center of their society, the most important place on earth for a Jewish person was the temple. That was God's presence. And they were a theocracy. They're not a democracy. There's no separation of church and state. This is who they are, what they believe, what they do. Everything that governs their life starts in the temple. And so they're at the temple and they're having this highly heated debate about this subject right here, the kingdom of God. Now, if I brought that one down in this house today, probably anyone would be like, when's this theology lesson going to be done? You know, wouldn't get all antsy or worked up or emotional. But you can think of other topics in our world. And surely COVID has brought out a few of them that as soon as you start talking about that, people are like, the hairs on the back of their neck are standing up. This is the topic that you don't want to bring up in polite conversations. This is kind of like in our day, politics and religion. Like, don't talk about that. Otherwise, this relationship might end because people have completely lost the ability to agree to disagree. It's either my way or the highway. I hate you. You hate me. If we disagree, we can't see. I mean, bad. This was worse. This is like what you see on other continents where if you're a member of a different tribe, I'm going to pull out a machete and hack you up because you're just a member of another tribe. This is that. So here they are in the temple. They're looking to trap Jesus. They're going to talk about this subject to the kingdom of God. And they're going to ask, or Jesus now is going to ask the question. It goes from the questions to the question of the day. The questioned is becoming the questioner. 
Jesus is flipping things back around on them. But let me heat this up just a little bit more for you and say, here's what's happening. Remember, Rome is in charge. The people want Rome to get rid of them. Think of every bad guy movie that you've ever seen, right? You know how it is. I'm almost to the point now. My sons are like getting to the spot where they're moving from, you know, cartoons. They want to watch big guy movies, action movies. And we have to do all this screening and leg work. But I've been watching so many lately. I'm realizing basically there's a very simple plot. I know. I'm admitting it. I go ahead and laugh. I'm a guy. And I'm admitting that guy movies are basically dumb. Here's how they go. There's a bad guy. This bad guy does something bad. There's a good guy. The good guy gets mad. And then there's about an hour and a half of fighting and crashing and chasing. And eventually, the good guy catches up with the bad guy. There's a final duel, a speech, a dramatic encounter, eyes to eyes. The good guy is just about to lose. I mean, they are this close. And in some amazing miracle, they spin out of it, capture the bad guy, destroy them in whatever means they had at hand, and everybody leaves happily ever after. The end. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You just had two hours right there (laughs) without all the cool car chases and crashes and bombs and stuff like that. But that's basically what we're looking for when we're after a savior see everybody wants a savior you want one you recognize there's evil injustice in the world and no matter how dumb the movie is there is something deep within your soul that says yeah the bad guys got theirs that feels good because so many times in our world the bad guys don't They get away, and I praise God for our first responders and justice system and everything else that tries its level best. But the reality is, because of the fall and the sin and the brokenness of our society, it will forever exist until Messiah comes. And the people here, they knew that, and they wanted that Messiah bad, perhaps even worse than we do. We've been lulled into complacency, and we're asleep, and we're sitting there saying, oh, I like my life, it's pretty good. These people are crying out, when will Messiah come? In fact, there's a prayer. Leah, I'm going to skip ahead a few slides. Here we go. There's a prayer that every faithful Jewish person, you're awesome, good job, thank you, would do. And they would say this. They would pray, I believe with a perfect heart that Messiah will come. And although his coming be delayed, I will still wait patiently for his speedy appearance. They were looking for deliverance. They wanted Messiah. And they could read about all the blessing that would come when the Savior arrives. Messiah, anointed one, chosen one. The ideal king who would deliver them from bondage. Here is how he is described by the Apostle Luke. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him The throne of his father, David. Samuel describes it like this. The adversaries, here's the bad guy movie, ready? The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. 
The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Luke goes on to tell us he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He can't be voted out. He can't lose. His kingdom, there will be no end. He is a central figure in hope of every expectation. This is the Messiah, the one to come, the one to deliver and save us from bondage. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 34. Here's the conversation that's going down. Beginning in verse 34, this is going back to the previous question. I just want you to see the context. It says, and when Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, he said to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's what we're talking about here. It's the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask any more questions, but Jesus isn't going to let him get away so easy. He's got one of his own. In verse 35, it says, Jesus taught in the temple And he said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? It's a big theological point. The scribes are like, he's got to be the son of the Christ, the Messiah. Greek word is Christ. Hebrew words Messiah means the same thing. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For in Psalm 110, you may want to chase that down later. Here's what it says. David himself in the Holy Spirit, see the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Okay, under your feet, enemies, that's the Messiah thing. Now, David calls himself Lord, so how is he his son? How is the Christ the son of David if David calls him Lord? And the great throng heard him gladly. Several things I want to point out to you in that text that will help the next few moments go uh, better. As I said at the beginning, we were talking about the kingdom of God, a big overarching topic. The next thing in verse 35 is it says that Jesus taught. Jesus taught. Are you ready for a soapbox? I get one or two. Come on. At least give me. Here's one. I, I, it just drives me crazy when people say things like, Jesus wasn't ever about, you know, classroom. He never this. He, never, he was out doing. Well, agreed that Jesus did a lot of physical ministry. Agreed. He walked. He healed. He helped. But. What does verse 35 say? Jesus taught. Like they called him rabbi for a reason. He was first recognized as a great teacher. Jesus taught up and down. And you read the other gospels. And what it says is, is, you know, he was in the synagogue or in the temple daily as was his custom. Like this is his regular practice. It wasn't even a once a week sort of thing. This is like what he did Normally, when he did something else, there was a deviation from that. Miracles are miracles, not because they happen every day, but because they're rare. 
You read the text of scripture and you think they're just going left and right and left and right. It's not like that. Left and right was normal everyday work and life just like for you and me. And on occasion there was a miracle. Jesus taught a lot. Don't ever say that Jesus had no interest in a teaching ministry. It's huge. It's all over scripture. Don't miss this. He taught in the temple. In the temple. This big, big important place. And then he asked a question. And as I said earlier, he, he recounts Psalm 110. You can just write that down, read it later. It's really cool because this psalm is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. Over 33 times it's either directly quoted or alluded to or hinted at or something. It's a big deal. The author of Hebrews picks it up with a footstool and everyone being bowing down to Jesus while he's on his throne and his feet resting on his enemies. It's a really cool stuff, especially if you're a guy who likes that action movie stuff. Okay, so let me just give you a hint. Footstools back then, I didn't bring a picture today, but you can look it up online. The Egyptians, way back even before Christ, used to paint the pictures of the heads of their enemies on their footstools. You know, like when you sit back in an armchair and you got a footstool in front of you? Yeah, exactly right. You get it. So they're like, da-da-da-da. I mean, that's how they like to rest with their feet on the necks of their enemies. This is how it pictures Messiah. This is Psalm 110. And this is much of the imagery of the New Testament. Jesus not some fluffy bunny. He's a deliverer and a conquering king. And he has a footstool and his enemies are put underneath it. So this is what they're looking for. They're excited about that. And Jesus is recounting this psalm of prophetic utterance about the Messiah. And there's this phrase that's very confusing to us, especially in English, because two different words are translated the same way. And it's this, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, if you look at your text, if you look at your text, I think in the ESV, it's in particular this way. The first Lord looks a little different than the second Lord. What's the difference? What was it? It's all cap. Exactly right. It's all cap. The first word, the first Lord in some Bibles is in all caps. And the reason for that is they're distinguishing between Yahweh and Adonai. Yahweh and Adonai. So the two different Hebrew words that you're seeing here in English as Lord and Lord are actually Yahweh and Adonai. And the reason is, is because that Yahweh term is the covenant name for Israel's monotheistic one God, the big one. When God reveals himself in the burning bush to Moses, he says, I am. That's Yahweh, Yahweh. The second one is Adonai. And you could use that term like we do of medieval lords, like Yes, my Lord. No, my Lord. Yes, sir. No, sir. Something like that. Like you could use that without a capital letter. It could be used in lots of ways. So what you could say in this text is if you wanted to read it literally from the Hebrew, you would go, Yahweh declared to my Adonai. Yahweh declared to my Adonai. So the Lord God in heaven declared to another Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Who do you think Yahweh is and who do you think the Lord is there? 
Who are they? If you're a Trinitarian monotheist, you believe in one God and three persons. They are Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father said to the Son. The Father is speaking to the Son. It's just like the baptism where Jesus is there with John and God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's like the transfiguration where God reveals, this is my Son and I love him. The Lord God Yahweh is speaking to the Lord God Jesus. And the Lord God Yahweh says to the Lord God Jesus, this is what you're going to do, Jesus. You're going to sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies under your feet. This is the plan for the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies on your feet. And these listeners, they, they didn't pick up on that so quick. And that's why David himself would call the second Lord here, Lord. Because David would never call his son, Lord. He would call him son. <laughs> and they would say, son, take out the trash. Son, pick up your room. Son, do the dishes. Son, don't talk that way to your mother. Son, do your homework. <laughs> that's how you talk to your son, right? Son, get a job. Son, come on. <laughs> You don't call your son Lord. Yes, my Lord. Your son would be like, what? So Jesus asked these people, how does David call his son Lord? But everyone knows that the Messiah is the son of David. Do you know what term that Jesus accepted as his main calling more than any other? The son of David. That was the term he said, yeah, that's me. And this text points you right down the path to say, look, Yahweh is saying to Jesus, sit here until I put everything under your feet. For at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There is no other and you have no choice. Every knee will bow. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And we get to come here every Sunday morning and say that. What else better could there be? There is nothing better than that. We get to come here every single week and say that Jesus is Messiah. That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Savior. That Jesus reigns above all and above every name and every knee will bow. And there's nothing better than him. That's what the church is about. I hear all these silly things lately about, oh, church needs to be the church. What is the church? Well, it should be a hospital, or it should be this, or it should be that. No, it shouldn't. It should be about Jesus. The church is his bride, his wife, the one who's been bought and purchased and sanctified by him. He owns us. He is our Lord and master and boss. And we sit here, and we want a savior, but what we don't want is a boss. You got to understand here, the term is Lord. Lord, don't forget that. We're ready to say, oh, a Savior, please save me. We're ready to say, Messiah, please bless me. But how many of us are ready to sit there and say, Lord, tell me what to do? You can't leave the title Lord off of his name. We all want to call him Jesus the Christ, so much so we think that's actually his name, but it's not. It's a title, 
But don't forget, you can't have the Christ without the Lord. And if you think that you're saved and he's not your Lord, you better think again. Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you. I think we're like those people in the action movies. We want a savior. We want someone to come and get rid of our enemies. But why? So we can do what we want. I actually heard a line like that in one of them. This guy delivers his daughter. You know, it really gets at me because I got a daughter now. And somebody does something mean to a little girl. And you're like, Oh, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever he's got to do, it's okay. You know? And at the end, he's like, honey, I will support you whatever you want. I'm like, oh, man. You missed it, man. I mean, it's good to support your daughter. Don't get me wrong. But it's not about whatever she wants. It's about what Jesus wants. And we don't always get to choose. And we don't always get to decide. And one of the things that COVID has shown me is we got some major authority issues. We're Americans. We like to rebel and do whatever the, do whatever we want. And somebody else tries to tell us what to do, and we don't like it. But the Bible goes on to reveal throughout the New Testament that part of Christ's lordship means accepting the other authorities in our lives. That there are people who get to tell us what to do. We're not autonomous. We're not our own boss. And we want to be self-determined, John Wayne Americans, individualistic champions of our own world. And the Bible says, no. You have a Messiah, and that means you have a Lord. Do you know what the kingdom of God means? That there's a king. And that's why these scribes and Pharisees, they can't get over it because they never did accept Jesus as king. They would have happily taken him as the one to overthrow Rome. By all means, set us up for success. If you want to take out our enemy, you're our friend. But don't you dare tell us what to do. And Jesus knew their hearts. And that's why it was a confrontation every time. Because they would never accept him as Lord. And I think we are so close to that, we don't even know it. We want a Savior, but we don't want a Lord. And what this text is saying is, boy... You better watch out, because if he is not your Lord, that means you're on the other side and you're in trouble. From the outset of the book of Mark, Jesus' identity is very clear. Read like verse 1. Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus the Christ, (laughs) the Son of God. No questions. (laughs) I think I know some people who would like this guy. He's very direct. (laughs) Here's the end of the story. Let me tell you it before it even starts. Luke says it another way. You know, Luke says, For unto you this born is born this day in the city of David. Ooh, ooh, there's a son of David, son of David. Here he comes. A savior. Yes, that is what we want. Who is Christ? The Lord. Don't forget that last spot. He's the Lord. And he will not be anything other than that. 
he is the Lord of all. What we have is a savior, yes. Who is Christ, the Messiah, yes. Who is the Lord. I challenge you in your daily life, seven days a week to make him your Lord. I challenge you this fall as we reunite and re-engage and come together as a body again to make him your Lord. I challenge you when you struggle with authority in your life to make him your Lord. I literally have to work through this as well. I heard one of my kids said something to me this week. They're like, Daddy, do this. And I'd just been working through some stuff, frankly, with church. And I was like, man, would I like to make one of my own decisions one of these days? (laughs) And then I realized servants and slaves don't get to do that, do they? Like, if you're a servant, that means you have a Lord, and that means somebody else decides for you. And I need to accept that. That there are other authorities in my life that get to make the call. And we need to accept that. And maybe if we accepted that a little more, our marriages might be better. And maybe if we accepted that a little more, our churches would be better. And maybe if we accepted that a little more, people would actually understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Not just a white-collar, well-informed, well-meaning do-gooder, but someone who actually had real authority in their life. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek first the kingdom of God. Let me put this in context. A lot of us are like, yeah, kingdom, yeah, blessing, streets of gold, free from pain, Jesus ruling, Justice, provide me the Savior. But never, ever forget, never from this moment ever forget that kingdom means king. And when you want the kingdom, you can't have one without the other. That means there is real authority in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yes, seek his blessing, but submit to his authority. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Father, thank you. For sending Jesus. I'm sorry, but many times he has not been my Lord definitely need a savior. I pray that you'd help me to follow him as Lord. Amen.